a brand new edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, where we explore the ever-expanding universe of finance and work out the best ways to make your money work hard for you. I'm Andrew Harrison, and today, three is the magic number. There are three key numbers that can help you master your finances. What are they? What do they mean? And how can you use them? To talk it over, as ever, I'm joined by Andy Mayer from Mayer Brownsword. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Andrew? All right. Not bad. It's been a while. And to explain these three numbers, what they are and how they work, we have a special guest. Sarah Newcomb, PhD, is a behavioral economist and the founder of Thrive Financial Empowerment Centre. She's an expert in consumer psychology, economic decision making and personal money management. And she's the author of Loaded Money Psychology and How to Get Ahead Without Leaving Your Values Behind. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. How are you and where are you? I am fantastic. I am in Vermont, in um, in the northeast of the United States, uh, where it has just started snowing for the first time this year. Love, well, we're, we're extremely jealous on that one. Um, so, three numbers to rule your money. It sounds like something from Lord of the Rings. Sarah, this is this is your uh, your coinage. What are these three numbers? Why are they so useful? And what do they help us to understand? Yes. Well, so I call this the golden ratio, because if you have these three numbers in balance, then really it can replace all of the uh, headaches of budgeting. Uh, most of us hate budgeting. It's, um, it's a, it's a time consuming, it's often confusing. And it's something that actually only, I don't know what the UK numbers are, but I know that in the US only 20 something percent of people even bother with it because it's such a pain. And, um, and, so so I call this the golden ratio. If you have these three numbers in balance, then your budget is fine and you will do just fine. And so it's a really fast way to understand if your cash flow management is healthy. Um, and they basically, the, the, the thing that I find most helpful about this is that rather than thinking about whether your money is going to this store or that, uh, that store over there, it's, or, or this category, that category, what you think about is, of every dollar that comes to you, of every dollar of income into your life, it goes to one of three places, the past, the present, or the future. And the way that you balance your past, present, and future will then affect whether or not your past is dragging you down and keeping you from being able to prepare for the future, how much emphasis you're putting on the future, and whether or not you're you're giving enough priority to building income streams in the future. And you're able to just see at a glance whether or not you have a healthy balance between your past, present, and future. So this sounds like the three ghosts that visit Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, past, present, and future. The past, which is paying for things you've already bought, this is debt. The present, which is current lifestyle, food, expenses, tax, and so on. And the future, saving and investing. Can you put more kind of meat on the bones of those three categories? Sure. Well, you've got it. And it's it's devastatingly simple, but it's also deceptively simple. Um, and, and this is why I like it so much, because simple is really helpful. Um, money shouldn't need to be complicated. So the past is of, of you add up all of your debt payments every month. That's it. Just everything you pay toward debt, that is, and, and then you divide that by your gross income. And that gives you a percentage. So let's say you're earning 6,000 pounds a month. You're paying 1,000 pounds a month in debt. Then you have a 16% debt to income 
ratio. And this debt to income ratio is something that creditors use to determine whether or not you are a good credit risk. So um, it in again, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the UK system, but I know in, in the US, we have these three credit rating bureaus, and they look at um, your debt to income ratio. And it's not just about being a good borrower and being able to get good interest rates when you do need to borrow, but that's very helpful. Being able to, when you do need money, being able to borrow money at an affordable affordable rate will help keep you afloat. It keeps you out of those debt traps that can keep people stuck for years. Um, and so having a healthy debt to income ratio is important. Now, generally, we want to keep our debt at 30% or less of our gross income. But actually, 30% is very, very high. Um, 30% can be very painful. And so that's really a ceiling. You're not, you're not shooting for 30%. You're shooting for less than 30%. But if you're anywhere in those 20s to upper 20%, um, close to 30%, then you're really risking having your debt be such a large part of your daily expenses that it does impede your ability to plan for the future. And so getting that, that past, making sure that the things you've bought in the past, and this does include mortgages, I have a lot of people ask questions about this. Well, but that's my present. Wouldn't I put my mortgage payment in the present because it's my current housing? The reality is that, yes, it is a, a your present housing, but when it comes to figuring your debt-to-income ratio, it counts as debt. And because the creditors will count it as debt, you need to count it as debt as well. So just understanding that anything that is a contracted loan is money you have borrowed. It's money you've essentially already spent and you owe to other people. So keeping all of your debt payments to 30% or less of your gross income is rule number one to keeping a healthy balance. So you're talking about 30% in the past, which is, as I say, things you've already bought. Mortgage is an asset that you're, you're paying off, loans, interest, student loan, and so on. And you talk about 60% for present current expenses, everything from food to travel to... To taxes. And this is this is important. The taxes part, this is one of the reasons why this is so simple, is you don't need to worry about calculating taxes. Here's what you do. You say, okay, here's my income. Now I add up all my debt payments, keep that at 30% or less than the income. Now I take all the payments I'm putting toward my savings, and that needs to be at least 10% at the very least. So debt is at most 30%. Future is at least 10%. Really, it should be 20. If you if you can get to 20, then you can shorten the amount of time it will take for you to reach financial independence by an incredible amount. 10%, actually, if you're only saving 10%, then it will take you about, let me see, I've got a little chart that I made for myself here. At 10%, in order to save up 10 times your gross income, it will take you 42 years at 10% savings. If you're saving 20%, it will take you 29 years. And so, but it'll take you 46 to, to save up 25 times. And so what it, you get this, this compounding effect 
in savings, just like you do with debt. And so what you want is you want to be trying to, to reduce the drag that your past has on your financial life, and then put everything that you can into supercharging the future so that in the future, you have large amounts of income coming from your savings and your passive income streams. That's what allows you to be able to eventually leave the workforce. I think it's game changing because I think Sarah said something really important. When you ask people what they spend on electricity bill, people don't know. They don't want to add up the little bits. But what they need to understand is what is my debt costing me? And I have a bad debt ratio. I don't like credit cards. Credit cards to me, over the years, I've seen them really impact on people's future. What are they consumables? What are they living with? But is some of that could be redirected into long-term savings. And what do you want your future to look like? And when people picture their future, they often do it with unrealistic goals. So by doing this and aiming for a 20% saving ratio, it's been, honestly, we've been using it since we read the article and it's really helped people <laughs> because it's because it's it's a simple thing. You're just saying to people, what's your debt costing you? What does it cost to live? And what are you saving? And when people say, I want to retire on £30,000 a year and they're saving 8% totally, you go, it's not going to happen. So it's been, it's really great. And we think people, if everyone did this, it makes cash flow easier because an awful lot of people do not keep an eye on their budgeting because it's boring. None of us want to sit there on a Thursday night and go, oh, yippee, I've spent £28 on coffee this week. But it, it is actually an awful lot easier to work out what you're spending on actual debt. Look at what you've saved, and then the rest is what your current <laughs> expenditure is. Rather than sitting there with a pile of receipts, yeah. and sitting there going, how much have I spent on crisps this month? You know, it's very, very hard to do that, isn't it? So just, just so listeners have got to clear in their, in their mind, Sarah's talking about a ratio of 30% for the past debt, 60% for present, and 10% for future. We're aiming to get that to 20% for future. So reduce the past and reduce the present and put it all into the future. I want to talk about these individual categories. Sarah, the past, a.k.a. your borrowing. Um, what is good debt, debt and what is bad debt? What is the kind of debt you want to get out of? Yeah, so I, the rule of thumb that I like to use is that good debt is when you've borrowed money to buy assets which increase your earning potential. So this is why most creditors consider things like education loans good debt because you've invested in increasing the value of your human capital in the marketplace. You've increased your earning potential. So you borrowed money to strengthen or improve the value of the asset that is your human capital right? Same with real estate. So when you borrow money to buy real estate, you are borrowing money to then buy something that either reduces your, you know, this is an asset that generally will increase in value over time so long as you maintain the value of it. Important caveat there. And it also, um, it, you, there are many ways that land as an asset category can earn you money. And so when you borrow money to buy an asset, that's generally seen as good debt. And so that's basically real estate and education loans. Um, anything else, when you borrow money to buy stuff, whether it's a car or boat or, um, or other, mean, other stuff, when you borrow money to buy stuff, what you at the end of that transaction, you will be poorer than you started because you will have bought something that loses value 
over time rather than gaining value over time. And by the time you've paid it off, you will have paid interest on it. So you paid more than it was ever worth. By the time you've paid it off, it's worth less than what you bought it for. And so you've overpaid for something that's not even worth any as much anymore. Um, you are on the losing end of that transaction. And that's why borrowing money to buy stuff is bad debt. So consumer debt, credit card debt, um, auto loans, personal loans, even business loans are often considered bad debt. Although you could argue that business loans are often investing in creating an asset, but that really depends. It's so it's so uncertain when it comes to business. And so good debt is borrowing to increase your uh, income generation potential. Bad debt is borrowing to just buy stuff that loses value. Well, I'm always telling my wife that the records and uh, old comic books I buy are going to increase in value. They haven't yet, but I, I've got a lot of faith that they will. I might be wrong in that. You're a, an expert in psychology and consumer psychology and consumer behavior. Debt weighs on us, does it? Debt is like a dead weight on you. We worry about it. Is there a healthy attitude to debt and other successful strategies to dealing with bad debt that go beyond just like paying off as quick as you can? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it is a very, it, and it is personally, it depends from person to person how we feel about debt. Some people are so anti-debt that even quote unquote good debt feels bad because there there's that feeling of being beholden to a creditor. And the sense of liberation that they feel when they pay off debt is, is worth more to them than the extra dollars that they could have if they were to maybe hold on to that debt and invest the money. And I think that that's a very personal decision. There is this sort of academic or technical distinction between good and bad debt. But if any debt feels bad to you, then there is a psychological cost. And that psychological cost is very real. It can weigh on your health. It can weigh on your well-being. And so I think that whenever it comes to trade-offs, financial trade-offs, we make a mistake when we ignore our emotions. Because our emotions are information that tell us a lot about our psychological well-being. And every major financial transaction has financial costs and benefits, but there are also emotional costs or psychological costs and benefits. And we need to include both types of costs and benefits in our mental calculus in order to really determine wh whether the costs outweigh the benefits or vice versa. Now, we have to also be careful not to let our emotions skew the that calculus. And so it's, it is a very um, nuanced um, trade-off analysis that we do when we look at financial decisions, but it's not only about the numbers. It's also about the stories that we tell ourselves because of those numbers. And if those stories are harmful to our sense of self, then we need to pay attention to that. You either need to change the story or you need to change the numbers. Andy, what's been your experience of sort of getting uh, clients to uh, persuading them towards a, a, a good attitude to debt? As I've just said, I think, like Sarah said, I think mortgages are a necessary evil. You've got to get on the housing ladder and you can see that the debt reduces over time and hopefully the asset increases in time. My experience, though, of credit cards is that someone can, you can have a meeting with them, they owe £15,000, they're paying £300 a month. You go back a year later, they've paid 3,600 in interest and still owe 15,000, but they're convinced they're gonna get out of it. After five years, they've paid 15,000 pound back and more and still owe 15,000. And it's the credit card debt that really affects people. And 
the car loans where you're paying £500 a month and in three years you've given the car back and nothing for it. And people saying, I'd like to retire earlier. And it's making people understand the trade-off between bad debt for stuff, and it's a great expression where people go out on a Saturday, they've had a bad week at work, they want to go and buy a new outfit, they want to buy a pair of shoes, they treat themselves to something to make them feel better. But when that debt catches up with them, it certainly doesn't make them feel better. And then it can impact what they do for a number of years and it can delay retirement or delay what I would rather say not retirement is financial independence for a number of years. I regard uh, paying off the credit card uh, in full every month as my revenge on the system. <laughs> I, get, I get more satisfaction out of that than I do out of buying something. That is a story that is empowering to you, that allows you... No, I'm serious. And this is the thing, is that some people are telling themselves the story of, oh, well, I, I work hard, so I deserve it, right? But then they get the bill... And that crushing stress tells them a story that's very disempowering. And I think we need to understand the trade-offs between immediate gratification and long-term self-loathing. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yes. I'm in, a, I'm in a constant battle against long-term self-loathing. I wanted to ask you about the psychology of consumer spending as well, though, because we're also talking about the presence, which is your consumption rate. That's your burn rate, the rate at which you're burning the money you earn. And as you've just said, Andy, you know, for a lot of us, you know, it's the stuff we buy, the things we spend money on, kind of become part of our idea of ourselves. You know, I'm the kind of guy who can go out for a, a, a pretty handsome dinner on a Thursday night or whatever. It's hard to get people to change their current spending, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because there's, I mean, psychologically, we call it um, continuity theory, that we we have a story about ourselves, that we, uh, we really will go far out of our way uh, to avoid anything that changes our idea of who and what we are. And so this is one of the reasons why large uh, life transitions are so difficult, because they require a shift in perception of ourselves um, so often. And anytime we change our financial strategies, we are changing our lifestyle in a way. And so making any major change to your lifestyle will often require some a change in thought. And as a behavioral scientist, I, I really believe that behaviors, real life-changing behavior change does not happen unless your thinking changes. And so I really think we need to start with healthier stories, healthier definitions of debt, healthier understanding of, you know, the, the past, present and future is my past dragging me down. Am I able to, am I prioritizing the future? And again, getting the emphasis off of itemizing everything in the present, that is not the purpose. And in fact, this technique takes that entirely off the table. Is your, how much of a drag is your past? And uh, how much are you prioritizing the future? If you have those things in balance, now you've got a story of empowerment, focus on the future, and every penny you pay toward reducing the the drag of the past on your life, you can then put that toward your future and making that future as beautiful as possible. But it's it starts with a change in your mindset. Once your mindset changes, your attitude toward things like debt, toward things like borrowing for stuff, toward things like saving, which is a pain for many of us. It's a painful thing for many of us to save and to not spend. But when you start to think about, this is my, I am prioritizing the future. These are my future income streams. And I care about my future. Then it becomes more of 
the, the little daily decisions that you need to make become more natural. And as you prioritize minimizing the drag of the past so that you can charge into your future. I'm finding this very, very fascinating because the idea that a ratio of 30 in the past, 60 in the present, but get it down to 50 and 10 in the future, but try and get up to 20 is very, very simple to get your head around. And when you're somebody like me, I mean, I I derive great, you know, as Andy knows, I'm a huge skin flint and I derive great, I still <laughs> quite kind. I, I derive great pleasure from finding like, you know, yellow labels on the food in the supermarkets. I got a 15 quid curry for five pounds the other day. That gave me a great sense of warmth. But something like this, where rather than trying to go through the minutiae of every little thing you've spent and try to work out what you're spending, you just to look at what your debt is and what your savings are and everything else is what you're spending is really is really useful. So, I mean, just to sum up then, people need to look at what look at that debt, look at that saving, and try and work out how to get the past, the debt, down from 30% and how to get the future up to 10% and ideally 20 And if you can do that, you're kind of on the right track. Well, eventually it kind of becomes a game of how low you can get your, uh, you know, how can, how high you can get the, the future ratio. I mean, I'm, I'm, since I've been working with this concept in my own um, financial plan, you know, I mean, I've got my debt down to somewhere under 10%. My, my future is up over 25 and I'm, you know, I'm hoping to go even further. Um, but it becomes like this game of how much can you optimize? And I've done it without, I don't have to, you know, if, if you're meeting your savings goal, if your savings mm -hmm. is 20% or more and your debt is not debilitating, then spend the rest with impunity. You don't <laughs> have to worry about it. You're fine. And this that's the beauty of it is it's so liberating that you don't have to agonize over the itemization. This is the kind of financial advice that will cheer people up no end. Andy. But Sarah's 100% right. If you're saving and you've got your savings plan correct, your debt level is dropping, you can spend with impunity and you can go and enjoy it because that's the key. But when I've seen people with debt, it weighs on them. And it becomes debilitating, like an illness. Well, it's also the fact that you know future financial planning can feel daunting as well. And this kind of gives you a framework to look at it. So personally, I think it's really, really interesting. So Sarah, thank you so much for, for telling us all about it. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, and Andy, thank you for having keeping me on the podcast. What's your personal ratio looking like? I come from a poor background, Andrew. So as a child, I, we were always one day away from a crisis. So from the age of when I was 22 and I got my first job, I've always saved money because I assumed something was going to go wrong. So that's my psychological profile that I knew something would go wrong. And if it did, I'd have to help my mom and dad out. So now saving to me has always been part of my regime. And as you get older, it gets easier. Although I would say having two children at university has made it incredibly challenging over the last few months, especially with both of my children investing in weather spoons, Sarah, which is a low price port <laughs> over here. They seem to be spending an awful lot of money there. But I, I get what Sarah's saying because I've seen the reverse where you meet clients. And I once had a client who was paying a credit card debt and a loan back for his wedding, but he was divorced. So he was actually paying back for something that had happened and gone wrong, which to me was one of the greatest lessons in my life. If you can't afford it, don't have it.
Andy, you're a man after my own heart. Sarah, lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of It's Your Money. Find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can follow us there, which means you'll get the next edition on your phone automatically. We hope you found this edition useful. I'm off to run through what I'm spending on debt and what I'm (laughs) investing in the future. We hope you've enjoyed this edition. We'll see you next time. Bye.